Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Two highly recommended guests. I'm glad we could get them both at the same time to see just how the stories overlap. So our first guest, Robbie Abrams, played U21 for Team Canada. He played at the University of Guelph. He is a silver medalist at National Champions and a Youth Open Ontario Championship. So just to make sure our voices are clear, Robbie, say hello. Hey, how's it going, Josh? Awesome. And our second guest, his younger brother, Stephen, who also represented Canada at U21. He's currently playing for the University of Windsor, where he was named to the all-rookie team. He's got a second from Canada Cup, and he's got a silver from provincials and nationals from his indoor career with 18U with the Georgetown Impact. Welcome to the show, Stephen Abrams. Hey, what's up? Awesome. Thanks for doing this, guys. Uh, I love when we get siblings on the show. I mean, top act to follow with Jamie and Marcus Bradsburg. They had a great episode, but I'm sure you guys can top it. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, that's the plan, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into it. You're, you're growing up in Georgetown area where I'm sure lots of sports are an option. So what made you choose volleyball over, say, baseball, soccer, hockey, and all the other options you had in that kind of sports-centered area of Ontario? Well, that's a good question. I think we're probably going to have different answers for this. But for me, volleyball was, the, honestly, the sport that, that kind of uh, fell into me athletically. I wasn't the fastest guy, strongest guy, biggest guy, but we were super lucky actually growing up. Our parents made the the, the the cool decision when we were, I think I was maybe 10 or 11 years old, to put a volleyball court in the backyard. Um, it didn't start out as a volleyball court. It started out as just like a flat surface about the size of a volleyball court that we you know, played soccer on, threw the frisbee around on, but then... I think in grade five, I, I made the, the volleyball team at our elementary school. And then from there, mom and dad just decided, ah, we'll put in some, like they got some uh, cement person come in and put some post post holes in. And we got a, a pretty nice setup in the backyard. And then it was volleyball was kind of the only sport I played growing up, kind of from that point forward, just because it was the only sport I could practice at home. And kind of one neat thing about the volleyball that got us really into it was we were, I think I was in grade six, about 13 years old, and uh, the national beach team, um, I think they still do it, they do these auctions online, right, where they uh, they were auctioning off like a national beach volleyball experience package, and when they did that, uh, dad was doing some like cost analysis with it, and the package came with like an hour of coach time in the national training center um, with national team athletes. And it also came with 25 used national team beach volleyballs. And the cost was like 300 bucks for the whole package. And so dad put a bid on it and we got it. So we got 25. It was just at the time when they were switching over the old Macassar balls to the new ones. So I guess the national team was just trying to dump all their old national balls. Uh, so we ended up buying... Basically, we got these 25 really high-quality beach volleyballs and an hour of beach time with some national team guys. And I doubt he remembers it, but it was actually the national team player that was there when we did that training was Mike Platinga. But he was super young, so this is before he had any facial hair. He had short hair, and he like took us through like a training session in the, in the national center. We, and this is like kids. We were like 13. My sister was 10, and Stephen must have been 8. When we did it, yeah. so we were super, super young, but it was kind of our first introduction of volleyball, kind of at a high, high level, and that was kind of a cool experience. And from then, volleyball was kind of the sport all the way through for me. Steven's got a little bit of a different path, I think. Yeah, for me, growing up, volleyball definitely was not my main sport. 
Um, I know Robbie played a lot of soccer and hockey when he was younger, but quickly made the transition into volleyball. So when I was younger, I watched him play countless hockey and soccer games, play in the backyard all the time. I wasn't very good, though. But <laughs> I think watching him when I was younger made me understand those games better. And from a very young age, I was pretty strong, and especially hockey and soccer. So I gravitated more towards those sports. But I was still able to play in the backyard pretty much every day in the summer for Robbie and grow my volleyball skills. And it wasn't until, I think, grade 5, when I was 10, I won my first OVA Beach Tour tournament. Had an absolute blast, lost every game. It was horrible, but had so much fun. I'd been waiting for years to get my first glimpse at the volleyball court. But I still mostly played hockey and soccer. Played AAA hockey, so four or five, six times a week on the ice, and then soccer in the summer. And then later on, once I started getting more into volleyball and I was able to play rep in the winter, I did, I think, in grade seven, I played rep hockey and rep soccer and rep volleyball. And then after that year, I was so busy that I decided, you know what, volleyball is my sport. And I quit rep hockey and soccer and just played house league and then fully committed to volleyball. And since grade seven, I've been full on volleyball and it's been my favorite sport. So in Georgetown, which was more of a hockey-centric place, and soccer was dominant in the summer, hockey in the winter, we kind of made our own teams. I know Robbie started it with his impact team. They had Jake McNeil, Josh Green, Ken Kerr, some guys who went on to play university. It was the first male impact team that was ever created. And then him and Jake helped create a younger version for us and me and my friends who now play in university. So it was really cool that they were able to give back and start a new generation of volleyball players in Georgetown. So, Stephen, your first OVA Beach Tour, were you kind of the little brother who had to go and watch first, and that's what got you into beach because you were sick of watching them play, and you thought, I could be playing, like, two rows over on at Ashbridges? Or what made you try beach at such a young age? I'm trying to think. You're a little bit more lucky than some other people. With the, when you say you were 10, you weren't playing, like, U14, but I think it still would have been U13, so it's not that much better, right? Yeah, I think we were... U11 playing in U13, but had never really played before. Like that tournament would have been my first official game of volleyball ever. Nice. So I know my brother, he was playing with our cousin at the time. He wasn't really a big volleyball <laughs> player. He was a hockey player, but we went to this beach and we played a little bit. But so I finally got my chance to play. I think it might've been the second year Robbie was playing and I was just begging to play. So I took one of my buddies who I played hockey and soccer with, who's now playing on Humber, Chris Bowen, and we went in our first tournament. We were tiny compared to the rest of the players, and they killed us, but we were having more fun than anyone there. It was amazing. Then, Robbie, did you and Jake McNeil go to the same public school? Because he's got a similar story where the school team had just such a positive influence, I think, on his sister first, but it seems like a lot of people got hooked just going through the public school system in Georgetown. Yeah, so Georgetown's kind of neat because it's a little smaller, but there's, there's quite a bit of volleyball equity between the not just like the middle schools, but the elementary schools. So impact the impact Georgetown Impact volleyball clubs, a lot of the coaches that have been there for a really long time are either current or former elementary school teachers, which is really neat because it means that it's actually quite competitive within the town because the, the level of coaching at the middle school level is very, very good. So Jake and I actually went to the same not only the same middle school, Centennial, but we actually went to the same, like, JK to grade 5 school. So we were, uh, we, in grade 4, 
Jake and I were the only two, I think maybe one of maybe there's like three of us that made the, the grade five volleyball team as grade four. So Jake, I didn't even know Jake back then, but we the three of us made the team and then we played in grade four and five and that was lots of fun. And then grade six, I was super nervous and Jake was like, Jake was a baller back then because he's also, I know he's not like the, the tallest dude now, but I swear he was like one of the tallest kids back in grade five and six. So he was he was very strong volleyball player, and he obviously between he he's got a crazy sports family as well. So he had played a lot more volleyball at that age. So um, grade six to eight was really where the big transition was. We had a really amazing volleyball coach there, Patty Hall. She was she was a, an incredible influence on myself. I know Stephen had her as well growing up. But for Jake and I, she really started us um, together on the volleyball because as we we had her as a coach in school volleyball from grade six to eight, and she was amazing. And the first big tournament experience I had with volleyball actually was was the was the middle school provincial cup. And I didn't even know this sort of thing existed until you know I'm in grade seven and we're going to this provincial cup, and it's you know hosted at eight different schools, and there's 64 teams, and it's basically this huge double elimination bracket. Um, and it, it boils down to like a final four. And so both, both years in my grade seven year and in my grade eight year, we made it down to that final four group. And it was this absolutely chaotic tournament. But all I can remember is we played some, some of the athletes who we played in those tournaments ended up being like insane volleyball players. Like I remember when I was in grade seven, Jake and I were on this centennial team and we had a bunch of guys who were just good athletes, right? We had, you know, some baseball players, we had a swimmer, hockey players, and so we're battling to get to this final four and all tournament we're hearing about this kid on Brooklyn village. And we're like, he's like insane. And he's like six, three and he's roofing balls in grade seven and eight. And we're like, who is this kid? And, and we, and we get to this turn, this final four and we have to play them in the semifinals. And this kid and his, his brother's also on the team and they're, you know, they're lighting it up. And this one guy is incredible. He's, like best player I'd ever seen to that point. I think any of us had ever seen to that point, especially for like a grade eight, he looked like a man. And that, that was Lucas Coleman. <laughs> and that was the first time I'd ever seen him play. And, you know, we, we, I think our whole team was deer in the headlights. I think they, they got off to a huge lead and then we came all the way back and we ended up losing that game. Um, and I think we ended up, that made us finish second in the tournament. So that we actually played them in the finals, I think. But that was, that was an insane introduction. And then the next year, um, Jake and I were in grade eight. And we went back to the same tournament, back to the final four. We lost in our semifinal to a team from North Bay. I couldn't name a player who was on the team, but it just felt like everybody on that team was six foot three and men. And we were just a bunch of kids with basically, I was setting and Jake was playing middle. And we just ran a meter ball every single time we got a pass. Uh, and that was that was this that was the game plan, and they just had a bunch of trees and slow us down. But it was actually kind of funny because in the in the bronze medal game, we played uh, a team from like the Peel region. Uh, they were coached by Kelly, who I think the like the one who runs Pac Man or Kylie yeah yeah was, Kelly Smith's an elementary school Kelly teacher. Smith, that yeah, sounds right. Yeah, this team and on this team was uh, Calvin Lee was on this team setting and hitting. Um, who's like an incredible, now he's an incredible nine-man setter, played for Mac for a bunch of years. And Jorver Zango was on the team as well. And so this was a team of guys that I didn't even know at the time were going to be guys I was going to play with and against in four or five years out when I was in grade you know, 11 and 12. But we're playing them in this grade eight final, not knowing who they are. And 
I think that was the game we ended up coming back from like a, a 15 to five deficit. And Jake ran 15 meter balls in a row on the exact same sequence. And, you know, we ended up coming third. And so those were kind of huge things. And the, the, I remember the best part about those tournaments were we'd get these, we're in, you know, grade eight middle school and we'd get these massive banners that we'd bring back to the school and hang up. Even for coming like second or third, you get this like giant banner that's like, you know, 10 feet long and they'd hang it up in the school. And that was like the be all and end all of grade eight volleyball existence. But out of that grade eight group with that same coach from the middle school, she was the one who founded the first boys impact volleyball team. And like Steven said, that touched a lot of lives. Yeah. Let's get into that. Cause I feel like it, I, I don't want to take it away from some of the kids who play club today, but it feels like they just go to tryouts and there's like a, an unknown sense of entitlement that they just play club volleyball where knowing a little bit about both of you, your backstory, you guys had to grind it out to start a club team where I'm sure you're actually recruiting guys to the team like Steven, I imagine if this is true, Jake told me you had to recruit somebody's little brother just so you could get eight. Like you guys had to really grind it out to play rep volleyball where it feels like in a certain centers around Ontario right now and even uh, Volleyball Canada, kids just want to play club volleyball and they go to the tryout and that's all the work they put into it where you guys are networking and finding all these guys. So Robbie, you can start first as the older brother. Tell us about your club experience. And then Steven, I'm, I'm going to be all ears for how you guys found this, this Bad News Bears team that went on to like be a podium team by your 18 new year. So take it away guys. Yeah. So for my team, we were, it was definitely a, a totally different group of hodgepodge guys. So it wasn't until I was in my, it would have been our, we were in 16 U, but we didn't have enough 16 U players. So it was that same team that played Lucas Coleman's middle school team two years later. A few of us wanted to play club volleyball. I think Jake was maybe had, was applying a little bit of pressure to the, the Georgetown Impact Club saying, you know, we wanted to play boys volleyball in Georgetown. And the problem was, part of the reason was the coaching. We didn't have a coach. And part of the reason was there just weren't enough boys who played volleyball in Georgetown. But everyone had such a good experience in that middle school with that volleyball team there that we knew we could get enough people between my age group and the year above us. So Patty Hall, um, who was our middle school coach, she was able to go to the club and say, look, if I can get enough boys, can we have, can we, can we, can we run a boys team? Um, and the club was really receptive up to that point. I think impact's been around for almost 30 years now, but they've never had, they had never had a, they'd been gone about 25 years without having a guys team, which is actually insane considering they'd, they'd run multiple girls teams at many age groups for over a decade, for over a decade. So it was kind of surprising they never had a boys team, but she was able to, 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 you know, get permission to have that boys team. And then we basically recruited from our grade eight team. There was about six of us and it was mostly hockey players who were kind of finishing up their rep careers, looking for something else to do in the winter time. Um, because you know, grade tens around that age when the double A AA and triple A guys have either decided to go pro or they're playing volleyball or doing something else with their life other than playing hockey. So we got a few people that way, a couple of former club players when they were younger, who were in Georgetown and weren't playing much anymore. And, and then uh, a couple of just local guys, everybody knew. Uh, so that first year team, we did, we played, we played in 15 in 16 U and 17 U and we lost our first five or six tournaments of the year. Um, and when I say lost, I mean, we didn't win a set for six tournaments at two age groups, <laughs> which was a rough start um and then going into provincials we ended up coming third in our last tier two of the year and that was a huge win because it meant we won not only our first sets of the year but our first matches 
Um, and we had a little bit of mojo going into provincials at 16U. Came in ranked uh, not so hot. But then we had a bit of a miraculous run at this provincials. Uh, so we were low on the totem pole. I think Pac-Man obviously had a really amazing team that year. That would have been the age group with uh, Brendan Coppers, Nathan Murdoch, some of those big names, really great athletes, especially when they were young. They are just as good as they are now back in the day. And we ended up just finding a path that avoided them all the way through. And we actually ended up going on this massive run, upsetting the, the number two seed Mac volleyball club in the, in the quarterfinals. I think we played a team from London in the semis and somehow we won both those games in three. And then we ended up having to play Pac-Man in the finals. And suddenly this team that hadn't won a set up until the last tournament before provincials was playing in, playing for a silver medal at 16U. And that was insane. And looking back, we always joke now, you know, that was a team that was had some good athletes on it, but had a lot of people who never played volleyball again after that season. And, you know, we were able to go toe-to-toe with the, the best team in the province. I think we beat the Preds at some point in that age group, and they were really strong. But, yeah, we played Pac-Man, ended up coming second in the province, and then we ended up losing half our team in the off season. Um, and that set us up for our, our, our next year's team when I was in 16U and they were in 17U. And that team was really cool. Uh, it had a lot of people who are still really good friends to stay, a lot of good volleyball players. We had Jake was on that team, Jake McNeil, myself. Um, we had Ken Kerr, who was on our 17U team. He played for Guelph. He's one of, like, one of my best friends. Josh Green was on that team. And then we had two guys who joined us kind of out of the blue. One was Jake's beach partner at the time, Andrew Richards, who came all the way from London to play with us that year in 17U. And the other one, halfway through the season, was Cole Jordan, who you know had an amazing career over at Fanshawe. Um, and those guys all came together on this this impact team that a year ago didn't even exist, and now had some of the best Team Ontario players in the province, <laughs> um, you know, some of the best beach players in the country, um, coming all the way to Georgetown, playing in this tiny middle school gym, you know, with with a coach who had never coached boys volleyball before, you know, players who went on to have incredible careers. Uh, and then that season, I think we ended up finishing third at Provincials. So we actually did worse the year we kind of created this. I, I, I almost think of it as like the first expression I had with almost like a super team in the sense that we had people coming from really outside of the Georgetown area to play volleyball in Georgetown with, with a group, group of guys. And then unfortunately, the next year, the team had to split up. There was It wasn't the personality issue so much as it was, uh, you know, guys – just tempted to go play in other places and some of the London guys didn't want to travel so far and it, it but it was an incredible experience and it really kick-started boys volleyball in Georgetown and that's where Steven's crew picked it up yeah so for me mine was a little bit more lucky I think when I was 12 U, I was really wanting to play so I was looking at some options and then sort of out of the blue another boys impact team popped up and the coach who just he recently ended coaching at Humber. He was the girls' coach there, Dave Hood. And him and his family were in Georgetown, and he had a kid a year older than me. So he decided to try and start a team that was it was a 13U slash 14U team. And it sort of just popped up, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. I'm going to go try out for this team. Hopefully I make it. I was playing two years up, so it was a bit of a long shot, but there was only 10 or 11 people who tried out. So I ended up working out pretty well. So I was able to make that team. And we actually did pretty well. 
we had a lot of guys who that was the only year they ever played rep. Uh, a few guys went on, or one left side ended up playing in the OHL for the Guelph Storm. I think he's still playing there. So it was pretty wild, the array of people that we had on the team. But that's where it kickstarted our club career. So that was the 13U slash 14U team that I played up on. And then I stayed on that team. It became just a 14U team the next year, and I stayed with them all the way up until they were 17U and I was 16U. And at that point, before that season, a couple of my friends joined the team as well. Uh, Josh Pereira, who played on Pac-Man before, came back to Impact and joined our team. And we made a 16U team that Robbie and Jay coached. This is the famous team. So (laughs) me and a couple of my buddies, uh, the Josh guy and Chris Bowen, we were playing on the 17U team, but we were all a year younger. So we decided, oh, why don't we try and make a team? And Robbie and Jake, being as amazing as they are, they decided to coach us. So we rounded up some of our friends, some of my buddies who played hockey, we got Josh Perra's little brother who played on the, another Impact team, but he was younger and wasn't playing that year. Some other friends who this was the only time they ever played about volleyball. They had played school with us, but had never really been exposed to higher level volleyball. So this was a ragtag team for sure. They so wanted, many great dudes on that team. Just, <laughs> just a bunch of bros getting together. We, we practiced one time before our first tournament. We had to miss the first two because we weren't really ready for this to happen. It kind of happened in the spur of the moment. So we went in, third OVA tournament of the year, one practice under our belts. Somehow we managed to win the tournament. Uh, we came out on top. This was just a – it wasn't a premier tournament because we had zero points, but we won our first tournament. So we were all happy. We thought we were going to get into the Grand Prix, but we didn't because you have to play two tournaments to get into it. Yeah, that was the most outrageous OVA rule ever. So we were a little disappointed, but we we got through it. We went to the next tournament. I think at this point we had three or four practices as a team. Uh, we came second in that tournament. We had to grind out a second place, the playoffs. We only had eight guys on the team, so we got exposed to what it's like when you have to play every single point of every single set for a whole tournament. You, even at 16, you, you get tired when you don't know what tired means when you're young. So that was the first loss we had was in the finals of that tournament. Uh, still not really being exposed to a higher level of volleyball. Like there were some good teams for sure, but the best teams were still in premier and at the Grand Prix. So most of the guys on our team had never really seen a top tier team before, but we still went into provincials. I think we had eight total practices, and one of them consisted of us just playing basketball because we started warming up like that and we're having so much fun that we just played it for like an hour and a half. Yeah, half we had it. Jake and I had a whole practice plan laid out for our, I think it was our pre provincials practice. And then we were like, ah, oh, we got it in the equipment room, and you know, this is Jake and I's first foray <laughs> into coaching together. We're like, oh, well, let's play some basketball to warm up, and it just turned into like a like a five-on-five game between yeah. the teams. Super, it got super competitive. I think Jake might have been losing, so we just extended the time and extended the time. And ended up <laughs> that sounds about right, yeah. The entire <laughs> practice we played for before Provincials, but it really just showed the how much of a team we were. So we went into Provincials, weren't really sure what to expect, especially from some of the other guys who hadn't been there before and played much rep volleyball. So the first day, we're, pr- we're ranked pretty low. So we're, I think we're like third in our pool. We kind of got killed by, uh, we lost to LBC and we lost to Galaxy. But then we were able to beat another team to stay in contention for Tier 1. 
but the next day we had to go two and one to stay in tier one. So Robbie and Jake being coaches that they were, we had to play the number we had to play the number two seed who got upset by Reach. So we had to play Reach our pool. We lost to them. So we had to win our next two games and one of them was against the team that beat us in the finals of tier two the tournament before. But I think that was Niagara Rapids. It was the Niagara Rapids <laughs> B team who was actually better than their A team because they had the year older team folded, so they had some of the older guys play down on this team. So we lost them the tournament before, but we noticed that they were very left side heavy. So Robbie and Jake, uh, they changed our game plan a little bit. They had the left sides just stand right in the middle in blocking, and then we moved our middle and our front row person in two to just stand and double block the left side. So we won the first set, and it wasn't even close. Like, our plan worked perfectly. They set left set every time. We had a nice full double block because our middles had never really played before, but it was easy for them to just stand there, jump with the ball. Yeah, it was, yeah, part of that was a bit of a secret that Jake and I didn't relinquish to the team right away. But we realized the one area we were getting killed is our middle blocking. There just was no reading that was happening because they had never played against people who could set anything other than a moon ball to the left sides. So we played teams that could actually set the ball with any sort of tempo or setters with any sort of deception. And by 16U, like nowadays, the 16U setters can do amazing things. We were just like, screw it. Our... Our left side blockers are arguably better than our middle blockers anyways because it was the two guys, Steven and Josh, who've been playing on the 17-year team already. So we just told our middles, go stand against their best hitters. And our middles were big dudes. One was John Dunning, yeah. who is now middle for University of Toronto. Um, this was his first ever volleyball provincials, and he was an absolute stud. He was like 6'4", just finished AAA hockey. Just a unit of a dude. Yeah, they actually asked him to go to the Team Ontario camp. He didn't apply to it because he didn't even know it was a thing. But they saw him so dominant and so raw that they asked him to go to the camp, the indoor HPC camp. Didn't even know what HPC meant. Just <laughs> how dominant he was in the middle, despite never playing before, really, except for in middle school. Yeah, and then John at least was a notable athlete. Then the other guy we had in the middle was Luke. Yeah, and Luke was just. We just, I don't even, I still to this day don't know how we found Luke. And I haven't really seen Luke since that Provincials. He played on my hockey team. In house league hockey. My house league hockey team he was on. And he was buddies with someone on a year younger impact team. So we talked to him. We got him to come out. Super nice guy. And he's like 6'5". Yeah. And man, I've never seen anyone step up to a position like that guy. It's <laughs> amazing. And we managed to go 2-1 and one the second day. Made it into the the top tier for, for, for the playoffs. And then we come in the next day and we're, we look at the draw where we see that we have to play Pac-Man in the quarterfinals. Oh, God. This is so, awful. So we won our pre-quarter pretty handily and then we made it to the, the quarterfinal against Pac-Man. And one of our best friends, my roommate from Windsor, Josh Mucus, he was on the Pac-Man team. Um, even though he was from Georgetown, he went on to the Pac-Man team. Later on, he came back to Impact, but that year he was uh, on the Pac-Man team. So all of us are buddies, and he was buddies with us, but we had to put that friendship aside for the match and play them. So the first set, uh, they killed us, and it wasn't really that close. Yeah, Bobby and I watched the game film the other yeah, day, actually. To put it in perspective, Jake and I burned both of our timeouts before, the other, before 10 points in the game had passed. <laughs> it was... <laughs> Yeah. It, was, it was beat down. They were a rel 
well-polished team for sure, and we had never seen any team like it yet. So they kind of killed us in the first set. It took us to the yard. Um, meanwhile, I didn't even notice, but this massive crowd was coming. I don't know where they came from. It seemed to just appear after the first set. There was people everywhere we were in. The Lions Rink, I think, where there, ble- where there was bleachers in an elevated seating area. And the second set started. We went down again. I think we went down 11-3 was when we called our second timeout. Yeah, so again, both timeouts burn early in the match. And then there's just Robbie and Jake sitting there in their Hawaiian shirts as there's a massive crowd and we're playing in 16-year quarterfinals. Getting the crap beaten out of us. <laughs> and I don't remember what they said, but it must have fired us up because we came back and somehow managed to steal the second set away from them. And I don't think I've seen a team celebrate so hard and just be so happy about winning a game. So we won that second set. Yeah, and just a quick note, at the end of that second set, it, we were we were down 23-18 in that second yeah. set. We were just watching it, and Steve didn't mention it, but he went on a, a eight or nine spin serve run at 16U. And I think out of the nine balls that were served by Steve, I think only two even made it back over the net at the end of that second set. Wow. Impressive. And, yeah. And, I mean, it was it was hilarious because Pac-Man was making subs to get guys in who had been playing yeah. all day. And then we were watching the film. We're laughing. We're like, why are they making that sub? Don't they know what's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> so then we stole out that second set, and we kept on firing. We had so much momentum, we ended up just – running over them in the third set and the celebration that came you kind of see it leading up we got to 14 six or something and then we started to shake a little bit when we realized <laughs> oh no this is actually gonna happen we're gonna win so we made a couple lackadaisical errors but then the last point we managed to get an out of system score and we won and i I've never seen a bench run. It looked like we won national, national championships. Everyone comes streaming on. Like, not court. even just our team, but, like, yeah. people from other teams. Everyone's so happy. Like, I've never seen the crowd so excited about an underdog winning. Everyone seemed to have wanted us to beat Pac-Man, so then we got the win. That's, <laughs> that's kind of the climax of the story. The next two games we don't really talk about too much. Our team was drained because we had eight players who... Had never Play, played in tournaments. Like never played before. a three-day tournament for the entire time without coming off. So the next game, our middle was cramping. John Dunning, so he had to be put onto the right side. Our right side got moved to the middle, and people were just dying on the court. So we ended up losing those next few games. I think they were pretty close, but we definitely peaked in the in the seventy in the quarterfinal game. But now, now let me just jump in here. I, I, I've heard this story a little bit different, and I feel like you're you're skipping over a Disney-like pregame speech that happened before this game. So can some of you think back to that one, please? Because I feel like our listeners need to know this story. Well, I, before the game started, Jake and I knew we were playing Pac-Man. Uh, so we knew we had to get the boys pretty motivated. And so going into that into that game, it's nice because in the rim park we were able to we were able to snag a like a hockey change room. So basically, Jake and I gave what what could be considered a miracle on ice type um, type speech before the game. I, I've heard it be, be compared to like a we like a like a we are Marshall type speech or remember <laughs> the Titans type speech. Hard to say exactly, but the boys got fired up and. Honestly, what we got most fired up for was probably one of the classicest pranks that we, we've ever run. 
Jake and I. Uh, so one of the favorite things we did with this team, so number one, Stephen mentioned it, but we actually recruited one of our buddies' younger brother because we needed the eighth. You have to have eight people on your roster. So Jordan, he was actually voted our team captain as well. So he's, he's about five foot five at this point, just the tiniest little dude. And honestly, the funniest man you'll ever meet in your life. Guys, hilarious. Guys, absolutely hilarious. And not the strongest volleyball player you'll ever meet in your life, Um, especially going against a Pac-Man team. (laughs) And so he's our captain. And so he goes up, does our usual thing of whatever happens in the rock, paper, scissors before the game starts, we always take the other team's side. So if we win or lose the coin toss, we always took the other team's side. We never took server receive. We always took side. It was particularly hilarious against Pac-Man because Pac-Man is notorious for getting on the court super early and putting all their stuff neatly on the bench. And so Jordan goes up there, takes their side, and I've never seen a coach look so sad <laughs> in my whole life. They had all their jerseys lined up on the bench already. Everything was laid out, and their whole team was just distressed as they had to take it all over and move sides. As we're just waltzing over there smiling and laughing our whole team hasn't put anything down on our bench we're all prepared to move to the other side after the coin toss because we know it's coming no one ever takes side in the toss no but it worked out because we got the win oh and speaking of jerseys (laughs) one of the um so our captain like i said not the strongest volleyball player in the world but jake and i said you know eight guys on a team everybody plays every game like no matter what, everybody's going to play. So Jordan typically will go in and do a serving run for one of our middles in the back row. And he played volleyball before, so he, you know, popped in a good solid float serve, could play defense solidly, like, no problem. Some reason, and no one will admit to it to this day, but for some reason, Jordan's jersey was missing from his bag in that Pac-Man game. And so he couldn't get subbed in in the Pac-Man game. And no one knows why. It, it appears that somebody hid his jersey from him so we couldn't sub him in because they were worried that we weren't going to be able to win if we subbed him in. <laughs> no way. <laughs> and then after the game, somehow his jersey just appears in our change room, nicely folded. Yeah. It was just sitting there the whole time. Yeah. The, some people claim it was Chris Bowen, but there's no proof. There's no proof that it was Chris, but... We don't know what happened, but somebody not only stole his jersey, but had the good, good sense to return it afterwards. Nicely folded. But we couldn't sub him in that game because we didn't have a jersey for him. Now, I had heard a, a different story on the pregame uh, hype up where did Jake McDeal's father not enter the room to get the boys fired up? That's the story I'm really reaching for here, guys. Oh, Steve, you talk about that one. <laughs> Honestly, I don't fully remember what happened, but... I know Glenn, Jake's dad, definitely came in a lot of the time, especially before the Pac-Man game. Um, He definitely is not a fan of the team, and he was very adamant about us going out and making sure we do what we have to do to beat them. Yeah, I I know, Josh, we talked beforehand, this is a PG podcast. (laughs) So we didn't want to spread too much of what was said in that speech, but... No love was certainly lost about, about the team we were about to face on the other side of the net. 
So the story I got was Jake and you had this game plan. You had scouted the team. You were going to do your, your middle sneaky double block system there. Like you had a serving strategy and you're trying to keep it calm. And all of a sudden somebody kicks the hockey room door open. Anyone who's ever played hockey, those dressing room doors are not light. And somebody just hoofs this thing in and just starts yelling and firing the boys up. Do you think they're better than you? They got the skill, but we've got the heart. Do you think he's better than you? And basically just yeah. fires the boys up, which is the opposite that Jake wanted to happen. But ironically, was probably the turning point in the pregame speech oh honestly because i think we were going through we thought we were giving this like strategic emotional speech like i was saying so glenn comes in and you're right he kicks down the door yeah, I remember now. and first of all no one on our team has met glenn before <laughs> maybe me and steven maybe one or two other guys but a lot of these guys this is just some random old guy with a beard and this gruff loud voice and he comes in and he Instantly, like I said, some profanity-laced <laughs> speech coming in. And these are like some 16-year boys who, this is their first ever tournament. And they're just like big eyes. And Glenn throws our game plan out the window and just absolutely fires the boys up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he did what he had to do to get us the win, that's for sure. Worked out. Awesome. So with both of you kind of having a unique start in our sport and going through the, the school and the club system, when did university ball become a reality? Obviously, Stephen, your team to be on the podium at provincials and nationals, like I'm sure you would have got a, a couple offers or chased a little bit. What, Robbie, with you guys kind of being the bad news bears starting off a little bit, when did you know that playing at the next level was an option? Like it sounds like even playing rep volleyball might have caught you guys off guard where you didn't know what it was until maybe your first tournament, right? Yeah, yeah. So for me, I definitely paved the road for Steven, I will humbly say, because I definitely didn't see it as much of a path for me. I also, like I mentioned earlier, I probably wasn't the most talented guy all the way through, especially just based on like my physical characteristics. Like I just wasn't as big, wasn't as strong. So for me, I was kind of resigned to, to setting and barrowing. And so I actually didn't even start till my 17-year year on our club team. Uh, and then I didn't even... Uh, sorry, when I was playing a year up on our 17U Impact team. And then in my 17U year, after I'd had this great run with this team that had like Andrew Richards, Cole, Josh, Ken, Jake, um, the year after that, I was in my own 17U year and the Impact team had disbanded. And I actually didn't make the, the Guelph Grizzlies volleyball team that Jake had gone to. And that was kind of my plan was to go with Jake to that team. Um, this is my first experience getting uh, hosed by a super, super team. Um, and so that team was actually coached by, and I can say this now because we're really good friends and, and one of my favorite people, that team was coached by uh, Sue Wigston, um, who's the wife of Cal Wigston at the University of Guelph. Um, and that's important to the story later on. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I didn't make that team that year. Um, that was a really good team. I think they finished second in the province, third in the province. They were a really good team. But I ended up, they ended up, uh, keeping me as like a practice player because I didn't really want to play on a team full of people I didn't know and that team did have a few of my friends on it so I ended up practicing with the Guelph team in 17U but I didn't actually play any tournaments so that was almost like an off year for me although I kept playing volleyball and for any young volleyball player out there the practices are more important than the tournaments the tournaments are just the fun part so that was a hard year but I did play a lot of volleyball with a lot of good players um, and then in my 18U year I actually made the transition from libero to setter and I set for that Guelph team the next year. But I was definitely not the biggest setter or the strongest setter and honestly didn't hear anything, didn't get a lot of interest expressed to me at the university level. So I didn't, I thought, I knew I was pretty good, but I knew I probably wasn't good enough to set at the university level. 
Um, I was probably a stronger libero than I was a setter, which was hurting me that I was setting in my 18 year year. Um, so people didn't see me playing the position that I likely would have played at university. Uh, so I didn't make, I didn't make the jump to university after my 18 year year. Um, I went to the university of Waterloo, um, tried out as a libero for the team as like a walk on and I didn't make it. Um, they cut me. And so I spent the next four years not playing volleyball, studying at the university of Waterloo because I liked my program there is ironic that I didn't get onto that Waterloo team because I don't have the statistic, but I don't think Waterloo's passing average over the four years I was playing intramural volleyball there was that good for their varsity team um, <laughs> to a level where I think I probably could have benefited that team. But I didn't make it. I wasn't a good fit. They told me I was too short. That was unfortunate. But I was able to do a lot of other cool experiences. I played a lot of men's league volleyball in the area, and that was actually a really high level and really my time at Waterloo was much more focused on beach volleyball in the summers. Um, and like you've talked about, beach was an incredible experience for me. I'd kind of spend my, my school year hitting the gym, um, playing, keeping my touches up, but not playing much indoor volleyball. And then I'd come out on the beach um, in the summer, and every year I seemed to be a little bit stronger, a little bit faster, and ended up having you know some moderate success on the beach, not just getting that opportunity to go play at the, the U21 World Championships, in Switzerland, but also having some success with one of my best friends and beach partner, Ken Kerr, um, on the beach. We ended up winning a, a provincial championship. We ended up meddling at nationals a couple years in a row, which was a fantastic experience. And then as I finished up at, at Waterloo, uh, I got a call from uh, Cal Wigston at Guelph saying, hey, Robbie, like, you know, are you considering doing any master's programs or anything? And I was like, no, not really. He's like, well, if you thought about coming to Guelph, like, you know, we could use uh, uh, older presence in the room, kind of a, a veteran guy, and, and we might need an extra, another libero. Um, so I kind of was in shock a little bit because I hadn't been playing almost any indoor volleyball for four years other than men's league and intramurals. So Cal gives me this call at the end of my four-year degree. I'm ready to go take a job, you know, start my life not playing volleyball. And Cal's like, oh, why don't, why don't you know, have you ever thought about it? And so... Cal gave me this incredible opportunity to, to go to Guelph to do my master's. And it was funny because the school part, I just found a random program that I thought I could get into at first. Um, and the program was really interesting, but it wasn't, I was definitely, the volleyball was equal to the school part. And so I think that, uh, I think my parents were encouraging, but they were a little apprehensive and making sure that I was, you know, not just going to play volleyball. But uh, I ended up having an amazing year with Guelph. Uh, it, it was an awesome experience. I definitely got to play play volleyball with some of my best friends. Ken was still there. Fortunately, he was injured. Um, but some of the older guys in that team, Zach Newman, Chris Bashard, um, just a couple of like really good buddies that I was able to meet. And then some of the younger guys on the team who weren't kind of on the old end, um, I made some really, really good friends. And the guys were all fantastic. And I can't say enough good things about that Guelph program. Um, it, it was an amazing experience. Made some like lifelong friends and I was really thankful to, that Cal was able to give me that opportunity to kind of take on a bit of a, a leadership role. I helped him a lot, helped a little bit more with like the strategy components of the game as much as my gameplay uh, contributed. But it was a super fun experience, um, and I'm really grateful that I was able to get uh, get some varsity experience in my life. Um, I thought I didn't. There was a point where I definitely didn't think it was possible, but I, I'm glad that it worked out. Nice, nice. And Stephen, how did you end up at the University of Windsor? 
Yeah, so after that 16-year run that we had... We, <laughs> that everybody's still talking about to this day. Oh, oh yeah, it's it, incredible. OVA legend. It will always be talked about. <laughs> so the next year, we, with that core group of guys, we made our own 17-year team. And at Madawaska, actually, we met some new guys from, that played on Mac the year before. And they wanted to come. They were looking for a new team. So we said, hey, look, we're having a new team. We don't have that many guys. So they came. They tried out for our team. They loved it. Now they're some of our best friends. They stayed on that team. So that's how we kind of built that team. That year, we didn't do too hot. We had a really good season in the tournaments. We went into provincials ranked second, but ended up coming fifth, which wasn't great, and did the same at nationals. And at that point, I had started to reach out to some universities. I'd, I'd emailed them. I hadn't really talked that much to any of the coaches. But at provincials, it was the first time that I met Coach Gravel from Windsor. So he introduced himself. We talked a little bit. I had already sent him some emails. So that was the first time that I was introduced to talking to some coaches. I had met Cal before from Guelph through Ralby, but I hadn't really talked too much about playing at the next level. So that was the first time I was exposed to that. But then after that, I kind of went into the beach season, had a good beach season, had a blast, and then came back the next year, emailed some more coaches just to check in and say, hey, look, I'm in 18U now looking for a university because I knew I really wanted to play at a university but had really no idea where I wanted to go. And from there, I just continued to talk to Coach Gravel. I went and visited Windsor in, I think, November. And then from there, I signed, I think, four or five days after. And Windsor was really the only place that I really looked at. I went and visited Guelph as well, but I it was after I went to Windsor, so I was a little biased, and I loved Windsor so much that I just wanted to go there right away, so I signed pretty early, and then since then, I went to Windsor last year, or this past season, and it was probably one of the best volleyball experiences of my life, equal if not better than what I had on my club teams, which was really nice, because I, I know that there's some teams out there that are all volleyball, and they aren't really friends outside of volleyball, I know talking to Robbie, who knew some of the guys on the Waterloo team. I don't think they were a super tight-knit group. But I know that at Windsor, we were really, really close right from the start. Like Everyone brought in all the rookies, and everyone was super, super nice. I remember the first day that we were there, me and Josh got there a couple days before the season started, or before school started. And right away, we were playing spike ball with the group, with the guys that were already there. We were working out with them, having a fun time, hanging out before school. And it just showed me how everyone on the team was really, really looking out for everyone. And I knew right away that it was a really, really good choice for me. Nice, nice. So with both of you kind of climbing the ladder in your career, one podcast that I really like to listen to is Knuckleheads. And one of the best questions I ask on that show with Quinn Richardson and Darius Miles is, even though we're pumping your tires about how good you are at volleyball, there's usually a moment where you just get slapped around a little bit. So when you guys first entered the OUA, was there a certain player or a certain team or even a moment where you're kind of like, wow, this is this is a little bit higher than I'm used to? Was there kind of a welcome to the league moment for either one of you? Um, well, for me, even in practice, the biggest thing for me right away was the serving. Uh, I was a platform passer for my entire life and had never really tried passing with my hands. But at the university level, that's a key component. So right away, I was forced into trying my best to hand pass. And it was a, a big struggle right at the beginning. I think that for the first two or three weeks, I didn't make anything over a two pass with my hands. 
So that was really a wake-up call as I came into the league because I just felt like whatever I did, I couldn't make a good hand pass. But I stayed with it, and basically every single practice, we hand pass and hand pass and hand pass and hand pass. And after maybe a month, I started being all right at it. And since then, I've gotten a lot better. But that was probably the biggest thing for me was the serving difference and how it's much different to go from forearm passing hand passing and I was never really strong enough to even attempt hand passing and that was really a big difference to me was how the serving was much a much bigger part of the game and how it influenced the outcome of what would happen after nice nice and Robbie do you have any moments when you could think back and kind of your varsity experience or what were some of your first impressions when you walked into that Guelph team room yeah, well, that, that Guelph team was, like, super welcoming at the start. And I, I was really lucky because not only was I going to a team, it was kind of a unique thing because I was going to a team where I was a lot older than most of the guys on the team. So I would have been, I was, like, as old as the fifth-year guys on the team, even though I was new to the team as, like, a rookie. So it was kind of a unique experience in that I was kind of an old rookie amongst younger guys but I was super fortunate because a couple of the old guys on the team I was able to move right into the team house which was kind of ironic because that was a house that I'd come to visit my friends at Guelph so Ken Kerr and Zach Newman already lived there I actually took Josh Green's old room in the house um and so it was a house that I'd come and like partied with the guys at in previous years with Guelph so it was kind of a neat experience to basically move into a house where I had Never thought I would live in two or three years earlier. Um, so I'm moving with those guys. And so it instantly made the team dynamic a little more relaxed, I think. I think knowing that, you know, Ken knew me and Zach knew me made it easier for me to get to know some of the other guys I hadn't maybe met as much before. Um, even guys like Jared Harris, who I'd come across lots in my life. You know, he's a really good dude. And I, I, I knew him kind of peripherally going into the team. And he ended up being a good buddy, um, kind of someone I knew going through it. But I'd say a big wake-up for me, and I joke about this because it, it actually happened when we played against Windsor in our, our first our first run. I think it was like the second or third game of the season. And so I was still kind of – we had another amazing libero on the team, and he had an awesome season this year, Ben Kissack. So Ben definitely took the lion's share of the playing time because he got a really strong player. But one of the games that I, I had, you know, did a fair bit was in the, the Windsor game. And so uh, we were struggling. I think we were down a set. So I go in and and – I think we were struggling to serve receive, so they mixed it up. I came in to do some passing. And so I joke about this because I, you know, I, since Steven's gone to Windsor, I've been, you know, I, I see James Gravel, the coach there, you know, every once in a while, we always chat about things. So one of the times we were joking about how the game against Windsor, I came in and he's like, they call the timeout almost instantly. And we're like, we're serving this new libero because we need to get him out of the game so they'll lose complete confidence in him. And so they served their, like, first four balls to me. And honestly, the serve received, just like Steve said, the hand passing was really new to me, especially because I'd spent a lot of my time on on the beach. So my hands were actually crap. They were not very good. So I'd been spending, basically spent, like Steve said, the first three months of the season learning how to hand pass, which is like writing, like teaching an old dog new tricks. Seriously. So I, I, they served me, and for whatever reason, the hand passing was on that day, and I passed like two or three dimes right off the bat. And so that kept me in the game, and I made a nice dig, and the team went on a bit of a run. So James called a second timeout, and they come out, and they 
this guy, I think it was Roland, was serving. And Roland had been float serving all day, and they'd been serving at me. And then Roland rips this, he's like his little hybrid spin serve, float serve. And I just absolutely shank it. And I got taken out immediately after that. That's a little, little rattled about that. But <laughs> I got taken out immediately after that. And then we lost the next four points and lost the game. And James and I still joke about that as like a, a point where it was kind of what if. But it was just it just a wake up to the sense that, you know, another team would actually game plan for something I was doing on this side of the net. That was kind of a new experience for me. So it was kind of cool, though. And it's fun to joke about now. Awesome. And you've both had the opportunity to represent Canada internationally. So what were your first impressions when you got to U21? And Robbie, I looked it up today. I forgot about this. You played with Aiden Somaldia. Like, how did, you, how did you even meet him? He's not an Ontario guy, right? So how did you hook up with an Ottawa province guy to go to an international tournament like this? Oh, so this was incredible. So I'm in my second year at Waterloo. I think I was in a, in a, like a recreational like pickup game when Jake called me. Um, and so I hear my phone ringing. So I go over to the phone, and it's like a Thursday night. And I, honestly, the, like beach had been something. You know, Ken and I had maybe won. I think we won national 18U or youth bronze the year before. So like I've been playing beach at a fairly high level up to that point. But it wasn't like I was competing with Jake or and you know with those guys who were you know verging on national team. But Jake's you know one of my good buddies calls me up and he's like, Yo, Robbie, get a partner. And you were going in these in these world championships trials on Saturday, and it's Thursday night. <laughs> and so I'm like, "What do you mean get a partner, Jake? That's so stupid." You're like, so I'm usually no get a partner, just do it. And so I'm like, "Okay." I send a few texts to a couple guys. Guys are like, "Oh no, I can't do it. Can't make it. Too short notice. Whatever." Jake calls me back at like 11 p.m. and he's like, "Robbie, get a partner for this tournament. There's only one other team signed up other than Chris and I." So Jake and Chris, for whatever reason, everybody in the volleyball world seemed to know Jake and Chris were going to this trials. And so that just some fortuitous amount of events, no one else bothered to sign up because I don't think anyone thought they could beat Jake and Chris. Because at this point, Jake was the only person under 21 in Canada who I think was training for beach full time. And Chris is just an insane athlete. Like that's, that's going to be an impossible team to beat. So nobody was bothering going in this trials to beat them. But two teams get to go to the Worlds, not just one. And since there's only other one other team signed up, and there was a team from Quebec, nobody really knew anything about them. There was a, you know, it was worth the shot to play in this tournament because you never know what can happen. I couldn't find a partner. Couldn't find a partner. Ken, who's my regular partner, who I would have loved to play with, was too old because he's a year older than I am. So he couldn't play in our age group of U21s. So Chris is like Chris, who's flying in from U of A the next day to play with Jake and train with Jake on the Fridays, like. Well, I have a teammate on uh, on U of A who can who can come play. He wants he's down to play. Aiden, good guy, six five, good blocker. Bring him down. <laughs> so, so Jake, so Jake and I are talking. We're like, I guess we could just do this. And so, lo and behold, next day, Aiden flies in with Chris. Never met the guy. Never even texted him until I show up. He's staying at Chris's house. I go pick him up, and we go. We're like, man, we got to get some touches. So we've got a scheduled practice. Luckily, Jake's uh, coach, Jake and Chris's coach, uh, Hinchy, Andrew Hinchy, was running a practice for Jake and Chris in the afternoon. Um, and he was like, you know, you guys are welcome to join. And so we were super thankful we go down to the center and train. But in the morning, we're like, ah, like I haven't played beach. And this is like, like March. And I haven't played beach in seven months. I haven't even touched sand in seven months. I don't even think they have sand in Alberta. So I don't think Aiden was playing much either. <laughs> 
So, uh, so we're like, we got it. We just got it. We got to get some court time somewhere in the morning. Just, so we don't look like absolute fools playing Jake and Chris in the afternoon. So, you know, I stop off at my house at home, grab the big bag of, of volleyballs and beach volleyballs. And we go to the only place where we know there's courts set up. Um, we go to Chincoosie Park in Brampton. And honestly, we played on the dustiest court in the world. And we pretty much just served. There was no lines. We just served, played short court, and, like, did some, like, basically, like, like super simple beach warm-up stuff. Just set and hit. That's all we did for, like, three hours straight in this, like, high wind condition. And then drove right over the National Training Center. Honestly, got crushed by Jake and Chris in training. Looked like we were had no hope in heck of, of, of success in the weekend. And then we show up on Saturday, get crushed by Jake and Chris in the morning, like not even over eight points either set. Um, and then we played the Quebec team. We're like, okay, well, we only have to beat one team. So, you know, anything can happen. Uh, they kill us as well. I don't think we got over 12 uh, in the first day. Um, but then Aiden and I, you know, stick with it. We're like, well, we, we have a chance. We just have to play a lot better the next day because that's the best part about pool play it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> so the next morning because there's only three teams jake and chris won the pool easily we have to play this french team again and so Aiden and i get killed in the first set not good and then we uh we go down early in the second set i think it was maybe 16 10 at our at the worst point in the second set and we were looking pretty bleak call a timeout and jake's Jake and Hinchy are kind of sitting. You're not really supposed to be coaching, especially because we didn't have a registered coach. But Jake and Hinchy are kind of sitting behind us and kind of just whispering things in our ears as the trial's going on. Like, you guys got to do this. This is the game plan for this. You know, they're going to roll line here. They're going to shoot here. Um, then we go back out, and we just, we just like, let all hell break loose. And we start, like, huge sellies after little points, just looking like we're not giving up. We come back, win 22-20, big win. Third set, battle, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We end up winning 18-16 in the third against this team. Aiden and I are losing. It looks like we've just won the world championship. We are just losing our minds. <laughs> and as soon as the game ends, Jake and Chris won't talk to us. They just will not acknowledge. They don't even say good job. They won't even talk to us. They're just in like intense game mode. Like, we are going to beat you guys. Because I think, I don't know why they thought they had it. I, I don't think they were really worried about us, but they were putting on a good show. So they wouldn't celebrate with us, even though we knew we'd pull up by. We were so happy, and they wouldn't talk to us. Like, we're playing you guys. Go somewhere else. And they were really mean to us. (laughs) (laughs) Then then we play them, and they just smack us around in the finals. But it didn't matter because we were going. And so at the end of the game, you know, huge selling by both teams. uh, And then you're able to qualify. And the rest is history. It was pretty amazing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i had no idea that was the full story i just remember you going to 20 or 21 world excuse me i didn't realize that's how you qualified so when oh, you actually trials, get to trials, just... were, trials were more intense than the actual tournament the <laughs> tournament was just a fun time because we really had no business being there we didn't actually practice before we went to the tournament um, it was in lucerne switzerland absolutely beautiful right when we got there super sunny it basically imported a beach into the middle of the mountains it was like picturesque um i think we had one training day, and we played uh, the guys from England, the UK. Uh, I think you've had him on the podcast, Harry Jones. Harry Jones, great guy. Great guy. And so we had we played him and his partner, Issa, and it, that was a lot of fun. And we, I think we actually we felt like we had beaten them in the training. 
Um, <laughs> and then our draw was uh, we had to play China in the first round, and they just smacked us around. These guys, I don't, I don't, I like to think they're they're skilled volleyball players, but I don't think they're on the world tour. Every once in a while, I take a peek to see if they made waves, and I don't think they have, um, unfortunately. But uh, so we got knocked out in the qualifiers, and then the England team ended up making it to the main draw. They had a much easier path, if you ask me. But <laughs> love those guys, but they had a great draw. We had a really tough path because um, if we had beat China, I think we would have had to play Austria and. The Austrian team had one player who's on the who's a really strong player on the world tour now. Uh, I don't remember his name, but really strong Austrian team. So we were never ever going to make it out of that pool play, and then it just turned into just an absolutely amazing social event the rest of the week. <laughs> <laughs> just what everybody wants to hear. Yeah, that was you know absolute highlight were the social events um, after teams got knocked out. <laughs> Steven, how about you? Did you guys have uh, expectations? What was your qualification like, and what was it like getting off the plane and representing Canada? Okay, so I think my qualification story is a little less exciting than Rob's, for sure. Um, we had been training a little bit. Uh, we were focused more indoor at the time because we had school during the day, practice during the night for indoor, but Josh and I, my partner Josh Mucus, we were able to get out most Friday nights and go down to Beach Blast and practice with Jake McNeil. He helped coach us and get us ready for the world. So trials came. We were as prepared as I think we could be, given the circumstances. Uh, we went into pool play, got second in our pool. I'm like, Rob, there wasn't only three teams. There was 12 <laughs> teams, the most amount of teams possible. So we came out second, and we had a tough matchup the next day against some of our buddies, but we ended up winning in the quarterfinals. We grinded out. We were down 20-16 to 16 in the second set after winning the first, and we got five steals in a row and made it and won 22-20 in the second set, and we were super fired up. We went into the semifinal, and we ended up, we lost. wasn't super, super close. I think like 21-18, 21-15, but we lost the semifinal. Um, we went into the bronze medal game, and we were playing a team we'd already played. There were two guys from Alberta. One of them plays at Brandon. The other one plays at, I think, a college in Saskatoon. Uh, and we managed to pull that one out, a big third set win for us. I think it was 15-12. And then we kind of got a little bit lucky. The guys who got second, uh, they weren't able to go to World. So we got the opportunity to be Canada too. And like Robbie, we had to be in the qualifier. So we hopped on a plane around the world to Thailand. It was, uh, I think we took a 17-hour flight to Taiwan a week before. This was in June, so it was smoking hot. It was like 100% humidity, 43 degrees out. And we got to practice in Taiwan for a couple days with their national training center. So the two guys that were going to U21 Worlds from for them, where we were training with them along with some of the older guys, so we got this... Uh, play against them, practice with them, use their facilities, which was amazing. We got super lucky with that. We kind of got acclimatized to the intense heat, which took some getting used to for sure. The first practice, I was dead after warm-up. I couldn't move. It was ridiculous. And then after three or four days there, I think, we flew over to Thailand, and we went to a, it was a smaller town, Udon Thani in Thailand. And it was also very, very hot. And right away... Once we got to the airport in Udon Thani, there was this crowd of locals that came and they were celebrating that we had arrived. They did a little local dance and song, which was really, really cool. They were handing us gifts 
it was, it was really cool. And then since we weren't in the main draw, we didn't get to stay at the main draw hotel. But then uh, Ben and Johnny, the Can One team, they went ahead of us. They got to the main draw hotel, and then they gave me a call. I'm like, hey, guys, what's up? They said there's one room left here, and they're going to give it to you guys if you want it, but you have to come right now. So Josh and I got super excited. I don't even know how we got there. We didn't take a taxi. Just this lady from Thailand who used to play on the pro tour was helping out. She just drove us to the hotel. We got into the main draw hotel. Super exciting. Um, the next day we went out. We started training a little bit. Uh, we got to play against some other national teams. Uh, and then the draw came out that night, the night before the qualifier. And Josh and I were hoping that we could get a good draw because we looking at the training there's definitely some really good teams in the qualifiers but some teams that for sure we could beat but then we got matched up with brazil too and uh brazil is quite the powerhouse when it comes to beach volleyball and even if we were lucky enough to beat that brazil team the team that we had to play after was germany number one who got who won the u19 worlds the year before i believe or got second next to russia so it was definitely going to be a hard path. We wanted to make the main draw. But the next day, we got the opportunity to play on main court, which was really, really cool. And we got to play these two Brazilians who were quite good. I think we definitely held our own. I think we lost both sets, 21-15, 21-15. But it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in my life. There was big stands all around. There was an announcer. I don't know what he was saying. He was speaking in his language but he was getting really <laughs> fired up and it was making me pretty excited uh definitely some nerves but had a blast and a half for sure we got acclimatized pretty quick and we settled down after a rough beginning and i think we played pretty well this brazil team was very very strong and almost made it into the main draw they lost to the germany team who's very very strong but the experience was really cool and then after we lost we continued training pretty hard because it was just the beginning of our season. So we would get up at 7 in the morning, go play with some other teams from around the world, watch teams during the day, and then after all the games were done, we were able to go back on the courts, uh, play some Kings Court with some other countries, train with them, play them in practice games, which is really, really cool. And then at night, we'd socialize with everyone, get to know them a little bit better. So it was really cool. Another thing that was going on during our tournament was these groups of schoolgirls, I think, would come and they would just roam in the volleyball area and just ask everyone for pictures wherever you went. So there was just hundreds of these people that were all in like school uniforms, walking around asking for people's signature, taking pictures with you. I'm not really sure why, where all these people were coming from or why they were there, but it was really cool to kind of be popular among the local people. And they were just super happy that we were all there and coming and super welcoming which was a really cool experience for me nice nice i'm glad you added that social part after you mentioned you were training 14 hours a day because it was either going to be me or robbie we're going to call you a liar if there was no social activity after the games well, were done socializing in a world championship we got to meet a lot of cool countries which was nice almost everyone spoke english which was a really pleasant surprise we were able to communicate with them pretty well now, I'm just looking at the clock. We've taken a lot of your time here, and I mean, we all warned each other this was going to happen. You might have to be either a two-parter or definitely returning guests, but we, we always end each episode with a funny story, and usually I just want to learn about the guests and have them, but for you guys, I'm going to serve it up because this is 
I think this is more legendary than your provincials performance in 16U, and it's it's the backyard. It's the backyard battles you guys have had, and I just want to hear, like, don't skip any details. Take it from the top. How do you even get invited to this top secret superstar event? Like, give us, give us everything. I hear there's a trophy, like Johnny Pickett folded up. Like, I want to hear everything that went on at this tournament. Well, uh, <laughs> So I mentioned earlier that we got the backyard court. Uh, so growing up, we'd always have our friends, whether it was the Impact guys um, growing up or some of our beach friends come over, never all together. But people have, I think anybody who knows us has at least played some volleyball in our backyard court at least one time or another. And over the years, the court's kind of evolved. We've upgraded, we've added lines, we've added volleyball, we've added lighting to the court. Um, the best acquisition we ever made was uh, there was a local driving range that went out of business, and we bought the netting that divides up portions of the driving range course, and we put that around the court so that balls don't escape it, because we do back onto like a ravine, so balls escaping into neighbor's yards or down down into the forest are never good, so we've been able to kind of net off our court, which is kind of neat. So now it's kind of it's turned into a bit of a, like a, a, a space where we can not only train ourselves, but we can have some pretty epic, epic... Um, battles with our, our volleyball friends and so i think the, this all culminated last year in the summer for the, the first ever backyard super mega bowl uh and so this this came about we uh jake jake called steven and i and we were at home on a weekend he's like boys i have a few days off can we can we hang out can we do something we're like oh yeah well maybe we'll come for dinner maybe go golfing or something. He said, well, why don't we play some volleyball? I think like, you really want to play volleyball, dude? You play volleyball every day of your life. <laughs> <laughs> but Jake's like, yeah, let, let's get, let's get some of the boys out and see if we can have a game. Cause we hadn't all seen each other um, since everyone had been going off to university and stuff. So we decided, well, let's just have a, have a bit of a volleyball match in the backyard. Uh, so a couple, like this is maybe two days before we actually ran our little secret event um we're like well who can we get do we want to get five guys do we want to do like a four on four like a five on five and they're like, well no if we're going to make it a backyard mega bowl it's got to be six on six it's got to be full teams going at it well how do we make the teams so steven and i were like i guess since it's at our house we'll just be the captains and we'll pick teams well, who's going to get the first pick because that's super contentious <laughs> who's going to get the first pick because you know, that can make a big difference. So we decided that we were going to play three different three different sport items through, over the course of the day to determine who gets the first pick. It was like a best two out of three. So the three sports we chose were basketball in the driveway, volleyball on the volleyball court, one-on-one, uh, -on -one, like almost like a short court, and um, and Super Mario volleyball sports mix on the, on the Wii. So... Start the day off, uh, we played our Super Mario Volleyball on the Wii. Steven crushed me. I was getting extremely upset because this event was already getting hyped up, and I knew the first pick was critical. Play basketball. I crushed Steve. Whoa. Okay. It was close enough. I won. And then I let the temper get the best of me, and Steven absolutely slaughtered me in the volleyball, so Steven won the first pick of the draft. Day of the draft comes we got to make sure we have 12 people. So we've recruited a few of our friends from the local neighborhood, some of the guys Steve's played with, um, Chris, uh, Chris Bowen, Blake Armstrong, Josh Tamukas. A couple of the guys can't make it, so we have to bring in new guys. 
So Jake's able to be there, which is awesome. We tried Ken. Ken's usually always around, but Ken was away this particular day. Um, we got Josh Green to come in. Um, and then we got some of the guys from Steven's team, um, his impact team, Noah Romero Marshall. Yeah, we got Josh Mucus as well. We even got Johnny Pickett. That was a big last-minute steal for us. He was in Toronto just doing nothing, so Jake was able to drive him down when uh, he came. So that was a big acquisition for us. Uh, who else did we have? We had Nick Kroger. Yeah, Nick Kroger, a lo local, local volleyball hero. Yeah. Um, he might not be known in the mainstream volleyball circles, but certainly in the Georgetown volleyball community. Um, and then a couple of our other friends. And so Stephen and I ended up doing this draft just individually and then posting the teams. We won't, we won't go into who got drafted and in what order. Um, Jake was taken with the first pick by Stephen. Uh, but that opened the door for me to take Johnny Pickett and Josh Green, yeah. and the rest is history. <laughs> uh, so we even managed to go out the day of. We were like, okay, if this is going to be done right, we want to make it an annual event, so we need a trophy. So we went out to the local Wastewise, and we got maybe a three-foot-tall trophy. I think it was a motorbike cross trophy that we got. We took off the little trophy piece that had a motorcycle on it, and we put a little volleyball on top. We yeah. put tape over the bottom. And then we have this trophy now for the Super Mega Backyard Mega Bowl that is now hopefully going to be continued to be an annual event. Yeah, the trophy's currently stored. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. We won the <laughs> game. But uh, all the boys arrived. A little barbecue before the game. Obviously, free foods included when you're a participant in this. In this, if uh, you get the if you get the invite, yeah. you get dinner. And so we, I think we had a, a kickoff time around 7 p.m. Um, it was a learning experience for us because the lighting on the court isn't actually fantastic. We basically have a, a set of construction lights um, that flood the court, and they're not particularly good as things get darker. <laughs> Anyways, though, so Stephen and Jake's team, they seem pretty confident they're going to beat us. They're definitely running their mouth. Oh, it's going both ways for sure. It was going both ways, but they you could tell that, that Stephen's squad felt like they – we're going to win this game very easily. Um, for those people who know Jake McNeil, they know that he doesn't lose, and he doesn't lose very kindly. Uh, so there's chirps that were flying all sorts of directions. And as the game got started, uh, it, it, it only ramped up in the intensity. Um, first set, it seemed pretty gentle to begin. You know, the other team would make a nice play. you give them a thumbs up. You know, a couple of big balls were hit, had to deal with some tree interference. Um, Team Robbie ended up winning the first set to the shock of Steven's squad. And that's when they really started, they woke up. That's when bells started flying for sure. So I think what, I think the biggest, the biggest thing that no one knew going into this game was just how good Johnny Pickett was. Um, you know, Josh Green, established volleyball player, they were keying on him. But really for my team, I had Johnny, I took him with the third overall pick and he was an absolute stallion for our squad in the first set and just putting away balls he was a dark horse for sure johnny's also from wyerton ontario and doesn't face a lot of uh, i think everyone's really nice there <laughs> uh so he gets here and he lights it up for my squad in the first set and then steven's team just takes the lid off the chirps and my god they laid into johnny like i've never seen a team lay into a, a opponent player Ever. He was crumbling in the second and third set. He, I think at one point he hit five balls into the net, and it gave us the second set win. I think we won the third as well. Yeah, they won the second and the third by large margins. Johnny was falling apart. Our team was getting tired. 
we were not doing well. It's getting dark out as well. It's getting dark. Kind of hard to see. It's point. getting hard to see the ball, but we got to keep playing because someone's got to win. Obviously, we're playing best of five because every good game can only be settled in a best of five. Fourth set, Johnny finally wakes up, and I'm not sure he'd ever really chirped a lot before, but he started trying to like make fun <laughs> of Jake and players on Steven's team and. It wasn't like the the best chirping I've ever seen in my life. Like by he, no means. By no means was he getting in their head at all. But it was making himself feel good. A fourth set win, and then it, obviously, as all great sports moments go, this went to a fifth set. I think in the fifth set it was so dark you could only really see the ball on one side. So we started the game off. My team went up, I think, 8-2 or 3. No, seven, because it 7-2 or 3. You didn't switch. We switched sides. Oh, eight. yeah, yeah. It's a fifth set match. And then we switched sides. We're feeling pretty good. We're up 5 or 6, 8-3. And then things... Then, then it happened. Yeah. And then now we're on the bad side. So Not only they're on the bad side, but Josh Demucus gets a party ball in the middle of the court. On, he's on Steven's team, and we overpass a first ball. <laughs> and Josh absolutely phasers one at Josh Green's face. Like, absolute pack job. Josh never saw Josh Green never saw it coming. Josh Tamukas definitely didn't mean to. Yeah. In the heat of the moment, some people will look back on it and say that I lost my cool. <laughs> I've never seen anyone get so mad so fast. It was, he hit him. We started celebrating because we couldn't really see, didn't know what happened. We realized what happened, immediately felt bad. But before anyone could really comprehend what was going on, Robbie walked up to the net and just started losing it at Josh, Josh Mucus. He was livid about how he hit him in the face and was celebrating about it. I've never seen anyone lose their cool so fast. Everyone kind of just looks over at Josh Green. He's standing there. He's perfectly fine. It's like, ah, it doesn't matter. It's part of the game. Not phased at all by what happened. So, like I said, some people will say I lost my cool. Other people will say that was a turning point for our team to get fired up. So I maybe raised my voice a little bit at Josh Tamukas, who packed one of our players. I was a little upset that he was celebrating a, a huge pack. I was also coming off of a concussion a few months earlier, so maybe I was a little sensitive to the issue. Regardless, I lost my my mind for a brief second, got very upset, and then our team woke up. And we just popped off. I think we went on a six or seven point run. We had local volleyball legend Nick Kroger at the service line. He started about eight balls straight. Johnny Pickett went crazy at the end of the game blocking Jake a couple times, absolute slam jobs in the fifth set. Their middles disappeared. They'd been roasting us all game, game, and they just absolutely evaporated in the second half of the fifth set. And we basically rode our serving and Johnny Pickett's offense to a huge 15-13 win in the fifth set. And thus, I retained the title. <laughs> Backyard Mega Bowl champion. Only for a few more months. <laughs> Everyone knows the second annual is more important than the first. <laughs> oh, I can't get over this. Like the talent in this backyard game, the chirping that was going on, like 
it was just supposed to be fun. Jake gets three days off from volleyball and decides that he goes into these grudge matches. This is all good stuff, guys. Yeah, oh, it was it, it was incredible. And I would say the situation diffused very quickly after the game was over. Um, everybody was exhausted. I don't think anybody thought when they signed up for it that what they quite were getting themselves into. <laughs> uh, but I definitely know that this year they're going to be prepared even more. <laughs> it's going to be a good one this year, that's for sure. Yeah, and there definitely are. Steve and I were looking at the rosters the other day. There's probably two or three other spots up for consideration I know we're going to have a few people who are going to be off the roster that were on last year's tournament pool of players. So we'll see if uh, if, if some new blood can get inserted into the uh, Super Mega Bowl this year. But the, the main figures will definitely be there. Awesome, guys. Thanks for taking the time to come on the show and sharing some laughs. Hopefully the listeners laughed as hard as I did because I've... I coach club with Jake, so I hear like little nuggets of these stories, but I didn't get to like really feel the full experience. And I'm glad you guys didn't hold back on the details. So that was great. So Robbie, good luck with everything you've got going on. I know club season got cut short, but you were coaching a a very competitive uh, girls team in Georgetown. And it was too bad that you guys didn't get a chance to finish the season. And Steven, uh, congrats on your season at Windsor and everything else you got going on. Hopefully this beach season gets started soon because I know you got big plans for that. So uh, yeah, thanks again and welcome to come back on anytime. Thanks so much, Josh. Thank you so much. Had a blast being on for sure.